Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome into another special edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptal, C70, the bat at C70 on Twitter. Joining me this time is Brian Salvatore. He's from uh, Home Run Applesauce. Um, he's right over at Amazing Avenue. And he's also the co-founder of the Fans First Sports Network, which is where you find Meet Me at Mutual these days. Brian, how are you doing this morning? I am doing well. It's a beautiful day here in New Jersey. I've had my coffee. All is right in the world. <laughs> Well, uh, with these two teams, I don't know if we can go that far or not. Well, um, they're not playing today. So the Mets, that, all is right in the Mets world because they're not playing today. So That is fair. Um, you know, Cardinal fans have, have dealt with a, a very disappointing team all year long. But when when disappointing teams are bandied about, it feels like the Cardinals and the Mets are kind of clumped together at some point in time. What's going on with the Mets right now? Oh, if I had an answer to that, Dan, I would be able to uh, make a lot of money <laughs> exactly. by selling the response to the, uh, the Mets team. No, there's a couple of things going on with the Mets. The first is that they built a team that is very much uh, the sort of the cornerstone of it is older starting pitching. Mm-hmm. You know, they have Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, um, 
Carlos Carrasco, Kodai Senga, none of these are young men. And injuries have been a problem. There was a time early in the year when four-fifths of the projected starting rotation was on the injured list. And so what that meant was that the Mets were getting a lot of starts out of subpar starting pitching. And more than that, they were getting a lot of short starts out of subpar starting pitching. So the Mets' bullpen was taxed incredibly hard early on in the season. And that has become a an issue that is continuing now, even though their starting pitching is, is healthier and is going a little bit longer. The, the bullpen is just – they've thrown so many innings so far – that they are just not at the sharpness that they were, you know, in in April and in early May. And so that puts the entire team behind the eight ball when the starters aren't going long enough and the bullpen is taxed. On top of that, the Mets have just had an incredibly inconsistent offensive season. The only player that has been truly consistently offensively is Pete Alonso, and he's in week one and a half of a four-week likely uh, injury list injured list stay uh, after getting hit on the hand by a ball last week so the Mets are without any sort of real offensive firepower aside from a couple of young players which we can talk about in a few minutes but it just seems like the inconsistency of the offense and the age of the starting rotation have have created this domino effect that has just made them an incredibly frustrating team. And, you know, unlike the Cardinals, who I mean, I know the Cardinals have had a couple of stretches where they haven't looked so bad, but the Mets have had a couple of incredible hot patches that then get cold water just poured on them instantly. And it seems like they cannot recover when those when those little hiccups happen. It they just turn into these disasters. And so the Mets just came out of a terrible one in nine stretch where they were getting swept by clearly inferior teams and you know, they were playing the Braves, who are a great team, and they had a three-run lead on the Braves three days in a row and lost all three of those games. So just heartbreaking losses uh, as of late. But, you know, as we're recording this, the Mets came back, won an extra innings yesterday against the Yankees. And as any sports fan of any stripe will tell you, a big win can sometimes be an injection of hope and uh, optimism for a team. And so I think we're all of us here in Mets land are hoping that last night was the start of something good, but we're also all realistic enough to know it's probably not the case. <laughs> yeah. I, it was just last week. The Cardinals had, of course they had in another, in another rough patch, but had won the last game against um, Texas. And then a day off, I had beaten the Reds and had, what should have been their best pitcher on the mound the next day and everybody was feeling pretty good. And then they haven't won since. So um, <laughs> yeah. that, that is the way of baseball these days. So what has gone right for the Mets? Has anything gone right for the Mets? Yes. A couple of things have gone right for the Mets. The, the thing that I, I think is the most optimistic is the emergence of their catcher, Francisco Alvarez. Alvarez last year was the consensus top prospect in baseball. And the Mets were very, very slow to bring him up last year. People were calling for it all season, and he was tearing up AAA, first AA and then eventually AAA. And eventually the Mets brought him up in the last week of the season against the Braves, and the kid just looked overmatched. I mean, the Mets were in the middle of a playoff hunt, and they're asking him to come in. He came in. He had, I believe it was the final at bat in one of the games against the Braves, the Mets lost, just putting a ton of pressure on the kid. And so this season, the the mantra was going to be, we're not going to rush Alvarez. 
we're gonna we're gonna take our time with him. And the Mets actually they they signed a free agent catcher in Omar Narvaez, and they extended their backup Tomas Nito for two years with the idea of there's no timetable on Alvarez. He will tell us when he's ready. Well, both Narvaez and Nito got hurt, and Alvarez came up uh, <laughs> I think three weeks into the season. But he has proven to be an incredibly surprisingly mature player already. First of all, he has a ton of natural power. He's hit some absolute bombs, uh, specifically pulling the ball. But he's hit a couple the other way also. But he, when he pulls the ball to left field, it's just it's it's an explosion off the bat. And the but the most surprising part and the best part of this is that he has turned into a capable defensive catcher. The word on him for years was that he was going to be a hacker behind the plate and would be great offensively, but he would be, you know, not to expect much defensively. And he has been the exact opposite of that. He's been probably the Mets' best defensive catcher this season, uh, so much so that they released Tomas Nito, who they had signed to that extension, because they just didn't have room for him because Alvarez is so thoroughly taken that job. Um, there was a rumor a few weeks ago that they were going to send Alvarez down and a number of pitchers on and off the record came out and said, we, they don't want the Mets to do that. You know, uh, There was an anonymous source that I would bet my mortgage is Max Scherzer, who said, basically, this kid is an incredible catcher. We love throwing to him. He's mature by, beyond his years. Please don't send him down. And so when a rookie gets that kind of support from a veteran staff, that's just a great sign. So to me... Alvarez has been by far the story. But the other story is that the Mets are, you know, f for a long time, the Mets have been a, a franchise that was based around pitching. I mean, going back to Tom Seaver and Doc Gooden and, you know, um, Al Leiter, Johan Santana, R.A. Dickey, these great pitchers that have pitched for the Mets, they've never really built a sustainable long-term core of position players. But it seems like right now the Mets are going to be fielding uh, a, a very homegrown very capable uh, offensive team between Alonzo at first, McNeil at second, Nimmo in center, Alvarez behind the plate. Uh, you throw Brett Beatty, another rookie, in there at third base. And it seems like the Mets are finally really realizing this vision of a homegrown uh, offensive baseball team. So I wish it didn't come at the expense of homegrown starting pitching, but that sort of is where the team is right now. Uh, so, yeah, to me, to me, that's been the benefit of the season thus far. Obviously, you know, Mets fans, Cardinal fans, we sit around right now and complain that the um, front office didn't do enough in the offseason, um, <laughs> that they didn't want to spend money, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's not a complaint that Mets fans can usually <laughs> no, throw it is around, not. <laughs> at least with a straight face. So, I mean, what are, what is, is it just, is it really focused? If, if there's, and I know there is because there's fans, it's the angst and everything that's around. Is it focused on the players then more directly? Uh, well, so here's the Mets situation, which is very strange. So, you know, the Mets had one of the worst owners in baseball in the Wilpon mm -hmm. family for many, many years. And that w the team was sold to Steve Cohen a couple seasons ago. And Steve Cohen has been as uh, fan-friendly of an owner as you can possibly imagine. He spends money on the team. He does really great stuff. He brought back Old Timers Day at the ballpark. He has retired more numbers in, the, in his tenure than the Wilpons did in theirs, essentially. You know, he's just he's doing a lot of things that the fans wanted to see. And so players or uh, fans rather are very happy with the ownership. But the Mets were not able to find a president of baseball operations for two off seasons in a row. And so their GM, Billy Epler, who used to be with the uh, Angels and had a stint in the Yankees front office, 
sort of felt like the 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 booby prize for GMs for the Mets. And so I think a lot of a lot of fans are unhappy with just how Epler has done things around the margins of the team. Like no one can no one can be mad. You know, they wanted a top line starting pitcher after DeGrom left. They went out and they got Justin Verlander. You know, they added uh Kodai Senga and Jose Quintana, who hasn't thrown a pitch for the Mets yet, but that's a whole other story. Um, you know, this is, they really did bolster their rotation. They brought in people that they felt were good. I think that the free agent signings, they're happy with. What they're not so happy with is the fact that Tommy Hunter was ineffective for most of the season but remained part of the bullpen. They're not happy with the, with the with the multiple catcher situation that you know saw the Mets basically have a, a third catcher for no real reason with no intention of playing three catchers on the team. So I think that they are they're a little bit upset about the roster management side of it. But mostly, I think right now Mets fans are mad at Buck Showalter, their manager, and you know I don't think there's a single manager in baseball who has full fan support for the entire season. <laughs> it's just the nature of, of our uh, of our sport to uh, to be criticizing the manager. But Showalter is very good at a number of things. Bullpen management has never been one of them. And this season, there's been a number of instances where the bullpen management has cost them games um, and sometimes cost them series. And that that is very frustrating. And then there's a couple of players that I think, you know, are getting the ire of the fan base right now. Daniel Vogelbach, the designated hitter, has been very cold. And the Mets are apparently not playing him for a few days to give him a rest, which is also frustrating because that means they're down a man on the bench. And because of a suspension for sticky stuff that happened the other night, they're also down a man in the bullpen. So effectively, their 26-man roster is a 24-man roster at this point. And uh, people are frustrated by that, which is an understandable frustration. But yeah, I would say the majority of the Mets' scorn right now is targeted towards Buck Showalter. Hmm. And that's that is very interesting. I mean, not surprising, I guess. To, 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 but uh, knowing how how lauded Showalter was, it felt like last year, at least in yes. national media, if nothing else, uh, to to turn it, see it turn on. I'd say it's surprising to see it turn on a dime. But we've seen the same thing in St. Louis, you know. So right, I, exactly. I yeah. fucking, not too surprising yeah. at all. No, I, I, I really think that uh, if a manager get if a manager has a great year, there's almost a law of averages that says next year they're going to be dragged through the press at every turn. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, just looking, uh, you know, I just kind of pulled up the the Mets stats just to then a glance through them, and you know what stood out, of course, is. Max Scherzer being human a little bit, it seems like. Is that yeah. is that, you know, a couple of bad games or is there something just, you know, age actually catching up with Max? Um I'm going to uh <laughs> I'm gonna say time will tell, which is a cop out answer. I recognize <laughs> that that is me taking the least uh, interesting opinion here on your show. But what I'll say is this I, I think that Scherzer is aging a bit. Um you know, it is he is certainly not the pitcher he was a year or two ago. But he also battled some injuries this season. He had that weird suspension for uh, sticky stuff, which was was lauded was you know uh, lambasted by the baseball media. Especially uh, David Cohn did a great demonstration on Sunday Night Baseball where he showed just using rosin and wad and sweat how sticky your hand can get. So it's been a weird season for Scherzer, but what's alarming to me is that he he hasn't been able to get into any sort of rhythm. You've seen him have a great start, 
and then the next start he can't finish the fourth inning um he just seems like he hasn't been in a rhythm so i i would say that given three or four more starts like he's had so far i will point to age being an issue here um until then i'm i am I'm hopeful because you know, Scherzer is is of a talent level, and you've certainly seen this with guys like Carpenter and Yadi Molina. The really great players tend to age slower than the average player does, mm. you know. Um, but every now and then, that aging curve speeds up real quick, and it becomes not a curve but a cliff, and they just fall off of it. I don't think Scherzer is there yet, but I understand the concern that he may be inching closer to that every day. Yeah, I mean, with pitchers especially, you're just, I mean, with a guy like him, you're just going to see a few more bad starts here and there as as time goes on. That's what you're hoping, at least, right? That, right, you know, right. At, at some point in time, he goes from 80% great starts to 65% great starts to 50% great starts. Not, right. you know, can't ever get it out. So, um, but yeah, that is, that is something interesting. Um, also, you have old Cardinal friend Tommy Pham on, on the yes. roster, as, as Tommy is floated around the league what is what are Mets fans thinking about Tommy so I, I I will I will fully eat crow here um when they signed Tommy Pham I said oh my goodness this is the guy I wanted least on the team I did not think that his skill set was particularly a good match for the Mets he also has a reputation of being a bit of an odd guy in the clubhouse Ooh. you know there was the fantasy football <laughs> incident <laughs> incident from a few years ago um and he started off the year very cold and a lot of player, a lot of fans were expecting him to be one of the first DFA'd players. However, Fam has turned it on the last month or so. He had a real big hit in last night's game that drove in the first run, and he just seems to be putting together a solid season as a part-time player. And one of the the Mets' struggles this offseason was they wanted to bring in a fourth outfielder, but the guys they wanted to go after, uh, specifically Andrew McCutcheon, was one of them. All wanted more playing time, and Fam was one of the few who would sign with the idea of it being a limited position. And he has been thriving in that position as of late. You know, I don't think his outfield defense is what it once was. I don't know if his contact rate is what it once was, but he still has some power. He can still play a competent outfield. And with a, with a team that doesn't have a regular designated hitter right now and is having some injury concerns, Fam's flexibility has been a really, really nice boon um, to the Mets. I have to ask you as somebody who watched him for many years, is his reputation as a sort of strange guy, is that merited? Did he earn that reputation? Any man that can say when I was stabbed the first time is, <laughs> is a unique individual. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, fam is a guy. And, and when you said that he came, he was willing to come in without basically a guaranteed spot. That feels like the best kind of role for Tommy Pham because he plays with a chip on his shoulder, I think better than any, anybody else. Um, he's, he's his own guy. And he's not, he's not necessarily eccentric or, you know, he's just, you know, he's in his own world. I don't know. Sometimes I think he, you know, kind of sometimes plays mad or something like that, but uh, he is, he is different than anybody else. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, I know what's interesting though is you know for usually when when there's a player like that, you'll hear clubhouse reports about him not being a great teammate or something mm -hmm. along those lines. But I never heard that with him with the Cardinals. He seemed like he was well liked in the clubhouse at least. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously he wore out a bit of a welcome with the front office. I think, 
Um, there was not that they ever said that, but there was like, I think one of those interviews with the athletic or something like that. One of those, you know, where he was kind of lambasting the front office a little bit, or, you know, complaining about, they never gave him opportunities and such of that nature, which I mean, there's, there's an argument to be made that Tommy Pham's progression up the minor leagues was not what you would have expected it to be, um, that he didn't get called up quite as fast as he should have. Um, but I, th- I do think he probably wore out his welcome with front office before he wore out his welcome with his teammates. Cause yeah, I never heard anybody necessarily complain about him, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, clubhouse is a pretty close thing. You don't typically get too many of those, you know, this guy's terrible type of things from the players, but right. Um, Sometimes in the way out the door, you hear that yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't, didn't really, didn't really notice that. So yeah, it, it is interesting to me how, how he has kind of bounced around since leaving St. Louis. Um, and it made me wonder if he was, you know, one of those guys you liked in small doses, but it may just be the, the nature of the game right now, especially at, at the age that he's at and the kind of player he is. He's not going to get long-term secured. Right. Um, let's go ahead and look at this series that we've got starting um, Friday. Uh, it's two teams that somebody's got to win. Um, which is, which is always good, I guess. Uh, when you see the Cardinals on the schedule this year, like, you know, when you look at a week or two ago, Mm -hmm. what are you thinking as you see that? Well, you know, I, I, there is something that I don't know if this is a phrase that is known in St. Louis, but this is a phrase that Mets fans throw around a lot, which is the Cardinals devil magic. Oh yes. Yes. (laughs) So I, I, I instantly get fear in my heart because I am aware (laughs) of Cardinals devil magic. Um, you know, there, there are certain players that just, you, you cannot look at without bad memories popping into your collective fan base's head. And Adam Wainwright is one of those people. Um, The Adam Wainwright curveball that ended the 2006 (laughs) season will never not live in infamy for the Mets. And so on on one hand, I do have a a sort of knee-jerk reaction that I don't like playing the Cardinals because the Cardinals just tend to do good things against the Mets. And the Cardinals are an organization that, you know, for as – in terms of modern baseball, they are one of the premier organizations in – developing and retaining their top flight talent and i always respect an organization that can do that so you know um however i know how this season has gone for the cardinals and so i i don't have the sort of abject fear i would have in a in a different year um but i i am not pleased that uh not pleased is is probably strong i wish we were facing the other part of the lineup of the rotation rather like we're getting um uh wainwright we're, we're, we're like i would i would feel better if we were getting flaherty and montgomery essentially that's it, interesting to say because i think until the last start by jack flaherty you can make an argument that flaherty and montgomery were probably the better pitchers that the cardinals have had this year uh, Miles Michaelis is now, I mean, he, he blew up against the Reds this last time, but before that has finally kind of found his groove. And I would say is probably the, the number one starter on this team for mm-hmm. whatever that's worth. Um, but, and you've got Matthew Libertor, who is a young guy, you know, it's, he's the, the starter in the third game. Who's a young guy that can have good games, but you know, he's still, still fighting as well. And then you get Adam Wainwright in the middle and, Adam Wainwright is not Adam Wainwright. I, I hate to say that. It it it, it kind of hurts me to the core. Um, but, you know, 
he's a guy that people he, he doesn't strike people out and the ball gets put in play a little bit more often and the defense behind him isn't as good and so far the results have been he's he's better than he started out the season he's kind of finding his groove because he started the injured on the injured list but I don't know that he's the guy that has tormented Mets for the rest of their life now it doesn't mean he can't find that guy for one more outing for sure sure um, sure but you know it's not I think Cardinal fans you know we talked about Max Scherzer a little bit earlier and about you know age and all that kind of stuff it's really hard not to see that age has kind of caught up with Wainwright. And I mean, and he never had the, you know, overwhelming stuff that, that Max Scherzer did. So, um, you know, and, and I say that he'll go out and, you know, be dominant, but I, I feel like it's fair to say that it's not what he used to be. Sure. And, and that's fair. Um, the reason that I, I don't, that I wanted to face Flaherty is just that I, I, I don't watch a ton of Cardinals baseball mm-hmm. because of the way the schedule works out. But I've seen that Flaherty seems like a guy where if if a team gets to him early, he sort of breaks down. Is that a fair assessment? Like I'm, you know, looking at his his game log for this season, mm-hmm. there's a number of games where you know he gave up six runs, ten runs, five runs. It seems like every now and then he just he just manages to sort of melt down. And the Mets tend to do well against those type of players. The Mets tend to be a team that if they if they can smell blood on the water, they can really put a hurt on a starting pitcher. I think that's fair. I think if if Flaherty's on, he's on, and it's very you know he'll go six or seven, you know, six, yeah, probably six or seven, and you know give up a run or two maybe if that. If he's not, he probably doesn't make it to the fifth. Yeah, okay. uh, you know it's 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 somewhat all or nothing with him, and and lately it's been pretty good, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's not necessary. It's still to the point where um, if Flaherty goes out on the mound you kind of hold your breath a little bit um, and see which, which Flaherty you're going to get. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your, the, the pitching side on your, on the Mets side of things. You know, yeah. Trevor McGill and, and Sangha and um, Carrasco are going for the, for the Mets. Yeah. So he, he, the good news for, uh, for Cardinals fans is that Scherzer and Verlander are not going mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> against, yep. against you folks. Uh, Tyler McGill is a, a player who, was supposed to be the Mets' sixth or seventh option out of the rotation this year, but the injury in the preseason to Jose Quintana has made him be essentially the fifth start of the whole season. And McGill is a guy who I think will one day thrive in a bullpen role. He just cannot... If he is facing a lineup a second or third time, the results are usually not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he he's he has had a couple of good starts this season. I'm not, I'm not trying to take away everything he's done, but he has been rough to watch at, at times. And so... That does not give me, especially against Michaelis, that does not give me a great feeling for Friday night's mm-hmm. game. However, uh, the next two starters are could, are really interesting. Uh, Kodai Senga, obviously came over from Japan this season and has been up and down. But Senga, when Senga is on, and he tends to be on at City Field, he likes pitching in City Field. When that ghost fork pitch is working, he is so much fun to watch pitch. And so I, I, I really like Senga a lot. I think that they are working him. They're trying to find ways to give him a little extra rest because, you know, in, in Japanese baseball, there is typically not a four-day rest period. It is usually at least five days, if not six, if not seven sometimes. So, um, you know, now they're trying to work in a little bit extra rest for Senga. He's pitching at home. I would feel good about that. And then Carlos Carrasco was hurt for the first bit of the season but has looked much better, much stronger coming out. 
but he he still has this um he has this propensity to melt down in the fifth and sixth innings and this is where buck showalter's bullpen management really doesn't come into play if if i were managing the team as soon as the fifth inning started i would have a a pitcher warming up in the bullpen whether or not i go to him or not carrasco's just recent performance has shown that he hits a wall in the fifth or sixth inning and so um and that that is becoming to my eyes a more common thing with starting pitching in baseball um, which I don't love. I, I I long for the days of seven eight inning starts, but I, yeah. I fear we're never going to get there again, or at least not for some time. So um, yeah, to, to me, I, I I think that Senga is going to put up the best numbers uh, over the weekend, and I, I I I see this going. I would see the pitching matchup favoring the Cardinals in Game One, the Mets in Game Two, and being kind of a coin flip in Game Three. I don't know how you feel about that. I think that's fair. I think that that's that would be pretty close to what I would say as well. And then, you know, it's going to depend on, you know, as, as both teams, you know, trying to figure out if how much of it is the pitchers are being good and how much of it is the offense being bad. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the that's, eternal question. <laughs> yeah, it's always always difficult to figure that out uh, because, you know, both lineups are very, you know, have a lot of, you know, long ball power and, and things of that nature, but that can be short circuited pretty easily. So um, yeah, I, I, it's very interesting. We've kind of, you know, a lot of times two fans get together and they're trying to one up their, you know, each other from their teams. And we're like trying to say, no, my team's worse than your team is, you know, this is, <laughs> you know, we've got, we got more problems than you do uh, that kind of thing. So um, I, I think it's only fair. Cause I did, I ended my last one the same way. And you've already mentioned the Adam Wainwright curveball. So it's only fair for me to ask you, what is your favorite Cardinal Mets memory? Favorite Cardinal Mets memory. Um. Oh, I have. I, I if I had known this question was coming, I could fact check myself here. I want to say it was a twenty inning game mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. played in. Yes. Was it oh oh five oh six somewhere in that in that range? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, actually, maybe ten. Was it was it that late? Okay, I, I I can't. I remember where I was watching it, but I lived in that same place for seven or eight years, so it's <laughs> it's hard to target exactly what happened. But it was one of those days where it was it was a a Fox game, if I recall correctly, like a national mm-hmm. broadcast. Mm-hmm. And so I watched the first couple innings, and then I had to go do something. And I came back for like the eighth inning. I thought, I'll go watch the last couple innings. And I watched a couple more innings. And I had to go do something else, and I left the house again. And I came back, and the game was still going. And you know, it wasn't a great baseball game by any means, um, but there is something very, uh, very just baseball specific about a game that can go that long. You know, no other sport really stretches out that way. So I enjoy that. And, you know, um, but the Cardinals have had the Mets number for for a very long time. Um, but, you know, I, I also I don't feel the animosity of the of the Cardinals that other Mets fans do because so. I am 41 years old. I do not remember much of the 80s Mets. I mean, I remember specific mm-hmm. little things here and there. But I know in the 80s, the Cardinals just spanked the Mets on a regular basis. And so Mets fans that are maybe five or six years older than I am, they really they really dislike the Cardinals, especially because of the way that the, the divisions were broken up right. You know, then. Whereas for me, in my fandom, the Braves are the team that I will uh, dream about beating you know, uh, every night. 
But yeah, uh, do you have a particular? I mean, aside from the curveball, do you have another uh, Cardinals Mets memory that that is happy for you? Uh, I'll have to think. Uh, by the way, just I pulled it up. It is it was April seventeenth, twenty ten. Okay, two to one in a basically seven hour game, and I remember because yeah. I watched that game as well. But I also had just recently gotten uh, the iPod Touch or whatever. So okay, it was right after I got an MLB. Uh, TV or whatever they were calling it at the time. Yeah, yeah. Back when you could probably watch a lot more stuff than you can now. Um, and I watched the Cardinal game on the main TV, but I was keeping track because that was the same day that Obaldo Jimenez threw his no hitter for the Rockies. Oh yeah. And you could watch the whole no hitter in the time that it took, you know, you, you the Mets game started, Mets Cardinal started before that. The Rockies threw a whole no hitter in the middle of it. And then the Cardinal game was still going on. So, yep. <laughs> uh, it, you know, two pitch, two guys, uh, Joe Mather and oh, I can't remember who the other Felipe Lopez, I think, you know, pitched the 19th and 20th for the Mets. It was, you know, kind of a crazy game. Um, I also expected you to say that Johan Santana, no hitter. Um, well, see, the reason that I didn't say that is because I thought you were going to say it wasn't a no-hitter. <laughs> I would have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was tempering my expectation uh, because of that. Um, I was over here making air quotes. You just couldn't see it. So <laughs> I, I figured that. Um, what's unfair about that? And and look, I will I will fully admit that when you watch that replay now, it hit the line. Right, we're all aware of that now. However, many other teams have no hitters that would have been sim- that would have been similarly discounted but there wasn't as many cameras in the ballpark when they were thrown mm-hmm. the mets are a, a relatively young franchise and for a franchise that has had such great starting pitching the fact they only have one traditional no hitter and one combined no hitter mm-hmm. to their credit is sort of insane um when you think that tom Seaver, doc gooden right. uh you know jerry kuzman these players never threw a a, uh, a no hitter for the team is is sort of insane but I think there are plenty of other no hitters that would have been similarly disregarded had there been the technology at the time. Um, and I don't think we, I don't think anybody would make a huge deal about it. I mean, maybe we still would, but for the fact that it was the first one in the Mets history. So yes, um, that brought a lot more attention to it. Um, actually, you know, now that we're talking about it, I will talk about how much fun that game was. So I, I that's actually, that's the day before my birthday. So I was at the next, I have been to the game after both Mets no hitters. Because uh-huh. I had I had tickets on my birthday, but I was I was out at a work dinner and it was at a particularly stodgy restaurant. It was a very sort of fancy affair, but the bar had a TV in it. So I'm having dinner and my phone keeps ringing. I'm trying to be a good person and not answer my phone in the middle of a dinner. But eventually I said, "Excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom." And I went and checked my phone. It's my brother-in-law, and he's saying, "I don't care what you're doing. You have to put the Mets game on." And so I asked the the bartender at the restaurant to put the game on. And then I spent the next hour just hugging strangers as I was watching this game. And my coworker's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'll be there at the end of the game. Just go go back to dinner. And I sit at the bar in this restaurant and watch the, watch the last four innings or wherever it was. That's, so. that's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, I am a little bit older than you, not a whole lot. But I, I, so I don't – I know of that rivalry of the Mets and the, and the Cardinals in the you know late 80s, especially when you go back and forth uh, – that 86 Mets team being so great and 85 and 87 Cardinal teams going to the world series. Yeah. Um, one thing I, it's weird, but one of the, when I think about Cardinals Mets, I also think of the, the 2000, uh, NLCS. Yes. And of course the Mets win the first two games and, uh, then Andy Venice comes up and, and steps up and pitches is probably one of the better games of his, especially of a late career to keep the Cardinals alive. Of course, it didn't matter. The Mets went on and one and five, but for some reason that 
stands out. Of course, that's the series, you know, Rattang Hill's throwing wild pitches in game one, and right. uh, it just didn't turn out the way that Cardinal fans would have liked. But uh, Venice stepping up like that kind of has stuck in my memory. Oh, yeah. And, and that was a great series. You know, the, those those were two very good teams, and the unfortunate reality of, of, of baseball memory is that I tend to forget about that series because of how heartbreaking the World Series was for Mets mm-hmm. fans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's the way it goes. Similarly, the um, the division series in '99 was a great series for the Mets, or the, the wild card series rather. I'm sorry, mm. uh, that, that that was a divisional series. I, I'm my terminology is so thrown <laughs> off because of all the changes in the playoff exactly. format that has exactly. happened since then. But you know, yeah. but I never think about that series either because of the way that that ser- season ended. So yeah, yeah, yeah you. You tend to to focus on on the last parts of things and and forget about what happened a little earlier, um, but there are there are moments in there for sure. Brian, thanks for joining me. Um, it's been fun, and you know hopefully we'll have a good weekend of baseball, and then we can get together at some point in time and maybe talk about better teams. That would be a lot of fun. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Right now, their leading hitter all time against the Cardinals in postseason play at the plate. Beltron has murdered Cardinal pitching over the last two postseasons that he's played against them. Here tonight, he has doubled and scored. He's flied the left. He's grounded out, and he's walked. Base is loaded, two out. Cardinals up by two in the pitch. Fastball, Steve Wright ball. Carlos Beltran during the regular season with 41 home runs had 116 runs batted in. He has three home runs in this series. He's at the plate with the bases loaded, a two down, the pitch. Curveball, swinging a tap foul, and the Cardinals are one strike away from going to Detroit and the 2006 World Series. Adam Wainwright gets a new baseball. Rubs it up, stands on, looks in with the bases loaded, two out. Cardinals leading three to one here in the bottom of the ninth inning. One of the most dangerous hitters in the business at the plate, Carlos Beltran. He is ready, so is Wainwright. The 0-2 delivery. Curve struck him out looking. The Cardinals are going to Michigan to take on the Tigers. They mob, they mob Adam Wainwright on the mound. They are National League champions and headed for Detroit as they mob the pitcher. And now Yadier Molina. In comes the bullpenners to a pile on. The Cardinals have won this game three to one on a two-run home run by their catcher, Yadier Molina, and they're still out on the uh, infield celebrating. What, what a ball game this has been.